Hello and welcome to the Races Formula E podcast. I'm Jack Nichols, and with me to discuss the ABB FIA Formula E Championship is the Races Formula E reporter, Sam Smith. Good afternoon, Sam. Good afternoon, Jack. Yeah, good to speak to you, even if it's remotely this time. I think it's better that it's remote, no offence. Um, <laughs> it's, it's nice. It's actually quite nice and sunny up here in Huntingdon. So, um, you know, I am, oh. I, am re- I am retreated. I've got my Maltese as a monster munch and I'm ready to go. I'm, it's very overcast down here, down south, down south. So, uh, yeah. But I, and I've got my Diet Cokes, so I'm ready to go. Basically, I suppose the reason we're in isolation is this uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, that is sweeping the world and all motorsport amongst with it. And Formula E is no exception. And if anything, I feel like Formula E was the first series to, to kind of come across this issue almost of all the motorsports. Yeah, the, the the sort of the gestation of what happened in Formula E, you know, stems back to the cancellation or the, the postponement initially of the Sanya E Prix, which was I think in um I think it was the first week of February. So that was the first of several postponements and then it obviously came to the season suspension, which which happened extremely quickly. That they, they were actually very close to confirming a race in Valencia or a double header in Valencia to substitute and and try and make the most of the remainder of the calendar but now it's in this suspension and and the pause button has been hit but I agree with you Jack it's been handled I think pretty directly and pretty clearly by Formula E so I think across the teams and and the drivers I've spoken to in the last week that's that's been the consensus yes. Um, It's mad to think that when we were in Marrakesh there was this talk of oh Rome might not go ahead and I was thinking yeah, it might not go ahead, but, you know, okay, there's some bad bits in Italy, but it's, I think it's still doable. And this was um, sort of three weeks ago from when we're talking now. So this is the sort of 28th, 29th of March, and the race in Rome was meant to be in a month's time on the sort of 4th of April. And at the time, it's, it felt like it might be an issue for Rome, but not really. And Jean-Eric Verne in Marrakesh got tested for coronavirus because he felt poorly, and he came back clear. So... At the time, it still didn't feel to me that Rome was under too much threat. It was looking unlikely, but, you know, it still felt it was on the brink. Fast forward two weeks, and the thought of having a race in Rome in two weeks is, like, preposterous and, and laughable. It's, it's unbelievable how quickly the whole scene has changed. Extraordinarily quickly. I mean, these things were moving not daily. These were, th- were things that were moving by the hour, and, and generally they were outside of the control of, of Formula E, the FIA, the teams, the manufacturers. Didn't matter how powerful you were, you 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 know we weren't going racing. And from what I understand, Formula E did everything in their possibility to get a double header in place for Valencia, and it was going to be behind closed doors. But it. it it, it escalated so quickly in Spain and obviously initially in Italy and then Spain and then it just spread to very, um, very, very difficult positions for governments and, and then, you know, there's a chain of command, isn't there? There's there's governments and then there's sporting authorities, whether it be former uh, FIA or whether it is the ASNs and then it goes down to the promoters and, and, and the teams are at the will of the of the promoters really so 
the, the decision was made quickly. The suspension runs until mid-May. Uh, you know, realistically, the earliest we're going to go racing is probably going to be the Berlin E-Prix in June, which uh, could become a doubleheader, is expected to become a doubleheader. But like you say, Jack, it's, it's almost impossible to make predictions or to understand where we're going to, you know, where we're going to meet again and, and where the paddock's going to collect. So at the moment, it's very much drivers um, in in self-isolation, effectively. Uh, some of them uh, taking up the offer for the uh, eSports game, which we're, which you're commentating on and we're all enjoying. But the teams... You Did know, you watch it? Did you watch it? Or have you just or have you just put yourself in a muddle here by saying we're all enjoying it? What do you mean? Did I watch it, Jack? I was part of the grid assembly team, for goodness sake. <laughs> were you? Yeah, I Who got you? a few. Oh, you got Johnny on board, let me guess. Johnny, yeah. Gunter, uh, Felix, Felix. Really? Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was sort of deployed last, <laughs> last Friday, ate into my uh, family holiday a bit, so Mrs. Mrs. Sniffer wasn't too happy. But um, we managed to get a great grid together, and the whole team uh, excelled in, in getting what, what was a pretty stellar lineup, I think. And uh, I did catch up on the racing on Sunday night and much enjoyed it because I'm really not a gamer and um I, I enjoyed it i thought it was great and i think actually the the one the ones coming up are going to be even bigger events i think yeah no looking forward to keep an eye on the races all-star esports battles the second one might have happened uh by the time this goes out but if not uh have a little search for it and and keep up to date um is there how does the series react now then so you know what what are the possible because Let's let's use the comparison of football. In football, the FIFA, the FA are saying, you know, the conclusion of the, the competitions is paramount. It's important that we finish the Premier League season. If that means delaying the next season, so be it. Is that the same feeling, do you do you think, in Formula E? Is it is it a case of let's get this season done, even if that takes until December or whatever? Or is there a chance they could they could they could write it off? What's the obviously the preference is to go racing as soon as possible. But what what uh, you know there has to be some kind of planning involved. I'd have thought. Well, by regulation of the sporting regs in Formula E, there has to be at least six events, and that's all it states. So we are now at five events, are we? No, we're at four events plus yeah. one race, so a double header. So we've done five races at four events. So there would have to be two more events for... But would, but would there? Like, you know, in, in the world we're living in, the FI, surely there wouldn't have to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, like we said before, uncharted territory, force majeure, uh, circumstances beyond anybody else's control. You know, I don't know how it would be in terms of the flexibility of classification, but... Because presumably it's, it's, it, there's a different question here. Because football, and this is just me thinking out loud, that's why I interrupted you, so sorry about that. But football everybody's got to play each other twice in the league. And if you don't do that, if you don't play the required amount of games, then that is then sort of unfair. But that kind of doesn't apply to motorsport, does it? If you have five races, six races, 12 races, 20 races, it's fair from the moment you start to the to the moment you finish, no matter how many rounds they are. As, as long as everybody knows when the finish is. That's the point, isn't it? And, you know, nobody knows when the finish is going to be. Um, so, so do you think it would be do you think it would be unfair to finish it now? You know, would it, from a sporting point of view, obviously, we'd all be disappointed. But from a sporting point of view, do you think that's sort of ethically unfair? And to classify a champion and, and positions? Yeah. 
I would say so, yeah, because because there it hasn't been an effective championship. It's been a series, you know, a few series of races. And okay, you know, it is. Don't forget the Formula E, by the way, is going to be a world championship next year. I don't think that yeah. changes much yeah. in terms of the the makeup of the actual championship. But like I said, these these things have never happened before. There's never been a race under uh, sorry behind closed doors. There's never been this kind of um, decision to make. And obviously, you would you would hope that the um, the relevant authorities at the FIA, ultimately um, the sporting working group as well which is the promoters working group but also the, the the different ASNs and ultimately the World Motorsport Council will probably have to make a decision on that that sits next in June in uh, Thailand so I would think that that would be at the top of the agenda if this is going to continue which we you know we're told that it will continue until at least um, at least the next couple of months so that, that that's one for the that's one for the the politicians and the organizers and the administrators of the sport but yeah i you know i i i spoke to antonio felix da costa last week um after the suspension and antonio was in new york traveling back to portugal to his family and um you know he joked about that that he was leading the championship but i would think that anybody who is classified at the head of a championship when it's not even halfway through would look at that as a a fairly sort of paltry way to um, to to be a champion. I don't think anyone would feel as though they would be a true champion if it came to that. Yeah. Okay. So, so you think the the sort of elongation of the season is is more likely? Well, it's. I, I think there is the will. Everybody has the will to um, to put on some races. At the moment, we've got Berlin, New York, and London uh, scheduled. Whether or not they can take place, nobody knows. Um, the likelihood is that I said that uh, probably at least two of those would be double headers. Then there is the option to elongate the season to go up until um, potentially the end of September. I know we know that has been discussed. I spoke to Ian James at Mercedes a couple of days ago, and I spoke to Sebastian Buemi uh, yesterday about that. And both of them said that that is an option, but the knock-on of that is quite complex because there's homologation procedures there is then test and development um programs that they're doing for season seven don't forget so one kind of overlaps the other i mean you know it has kind of been done before in season four to five when the new hardware of gen 2 came out so they did dovetail the test and development and race program so most of the manufacturers have the capabilities and the facilities to do that um obviously teams been teams they'll probably um they probably won't be too happy about it but in these circumstances they they're, they're quite they're quite capable of digging deep and achieving that so if races can be added after london then we could have uh, some races after that and i think the prime ones would be the ones that we're going to pay and those ones that we're going to pay are seoul uh, jakarta and sanya so you would imagine that there could be a bolt-on Asian leg post-London, and I think that will be looked at if it's possible to do. And don't forget that Asia is a recovering uh, continent um, at the moment in some respects with this virus. Yeah, what, so, so in, in theory, they could be ready to host races before... Europe, sort of. Well, as it stands, Berlin is in, isn't it, at the uh, in the middle of June. Worst case scenario that that isn't able to happen, then the, the logistics would be or could be that an Asian leg could be formed, uh, and then 
potentially those European races could happen later in the year if conditions allow. But, you know, again, we're getting into areas that, you know, nobody can predict. But I'm sure there's a contingency that that, that has been looked at. And in the way that this virus is happening, that, that seems to be a, a logical possibility. Um, but, of course, we've just got to wait and see. And that's exactly what, what Formula E operations is and, and the FIA are doing at present. It seems fortunate to a degree that, that, and obviously we're just speculating because there's no way of knowing anything at the, at the moment. Uh, but you know, Berlin, New York, and London; those three, uh, maybe with the exception of London. Now I think about it, certainly Berlin and New York. It seems could be quite flexible in terms of when they're on, when what weekend, because they're both very much temporary facilities you know they're not actual street circuits they're not shutting down a city you know i think trying to reorganize rome let's say would be a logistical nightmare because you can't just shut down the roads anytime you want but you could race at tempelhof relatively anytime you wanted you could race at um at uh, red hook relatively anytime you wanted although that might not be true for london i feel like with berlin and new york there's they're quite flexible venues yeah you're right and you know berlin i think would lend itself to a behind closed doors event because the nature of templehof airfield it, that that would be a place that that could happen uh, not not easily but easy, easier than other venues that's for sure um so yeah that 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 i think has got some flexibility in it jack uh, the, the london one's interesting i spent an hour with um with ollie mccrudden um a couple of weeks ago talking about the london epre he's the event manager really he, it's his responsibility to put that event on and they they had quite a a sort of fixed timetable of milestones to hit before they get access to the uh, to the main halls in Excel and that was going to be the 13th of April was going to be uh, a time when they could get some of the initial work done that that's been pushed back to the to the end of April as I understand it and then they will go back in July if if all conditions allow to do the build of the um of the racetrack essentially and, and get the the paddock and the e-village and everything in place I think at the beginning of July so it's ready for that last weekend so actually there are there are certain um milestones as i said to hit for london not not to happen because i think from what ollie was telling me that it's actually going pretty well but don't forget this was before the current crisis so mm. that's that's one to watch to see if if london can still hit these criteria to be ready to host the double header and, and the return of the london epre but as I, as i understand it in a minute it, it, it's not being impacted because they've got these set days to 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 hit and get done and, and such as noise tests for for instance you know to, to to run a car there even though it's not as um it, it it's not as sensitive as battersea park but they still got to do these uh, noise tests which to people who you know, don't know Formula E is is sounds slightly strange because they're electric cars and they yeah. don't make much noise. But they've got to do that anyway. So uh, yeah, but hopefully we'll have the the latest news on that on the race very soon. So we left Marrakesh and I said goodbye to people. You know, I'm a polite boy, and you say goodbye, see you. You know, who knows when? The last time that happened was season one Miami. We just had a great race in Miami. Almost uh, five years ago to the day, actually, I think Miami was. It was, what, January or February, I think, of 2015? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, Miami was March, yeah. 
Oh, March was it? Well, maybe, it, but we're in March now, so that may well be to the day. Anyway, point being, uh, we said goodbye, having no idea where the next race in the calendar would be, and also not knowing. Uh, at the time, there were whispers that Formula was in trouble. Since then, we've learnt that after that race in Miami in season one, Formula was very close to, to to not existing anymore. Is that? a concern a financial concern for formula e? obviously they'll have some concerns but just how serious is it and slash could it be yeah that was a, an existential crisis which <laughs> in season one came i think within i think alejandro gag has told well he certainly told me and he's probably told a lot of other people in the interim that it was within days of of ceasing to exist really there was uh, liberty global who uh, now underpin and, and, and manage the, the financial aspects of the championship. They came in at that stage and actually Miami was a crucial race because they had to prove to Liberty that this was a, uh, a going concern and, and something that was fresh and exciting and could attract those manufacturers and it all worked out somehow. Um, this time, obviously, we're talking about things that are largely beyond anybody's control. So the real um, the real question is, can Formula E survive um, this particular crisis, which it is in, not in control of, nor is anyone in the world seemingly at the present. But yeah, they, it, it's, a, it's a real complex one because I think there is an assumption that with Formula E now in its sixth season, it is extremely strong and is underpinned by strong foundations, including manufacturers and key partners and a whole host of other things. But as we've seen with the calendar, apart from the coronavirus, that actually it is often um, it is often compromised. Uh, and that, again, is things beyond its control. Will manufacturers have their budget slashed because they're not selling cars or their projected sales are affected? You know, we're seeing on the we're seeing on the um, in the markets of the world that their shares are 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 absolutely hemorrhaging at the moment. That could have a very nasty knock-on effect, and the, you know, ultimately there could be some kind of doomsday scenario where manufacturers have to leave the championship because their budgets uh, are slashed. The thing that Formula E does have in its favour is, it, is that it's actually relatively cheap in global motorsport to do. So whereas WEC budgets of four or five years ago, Porsche and Audi were spending upwards of 100 million plus, um, you know, you can do a Formula E programme now um, between, yeah, I think the teams are operating, the top teams are operating between sort of 25 and, and, and 50 million euros. So... You know, I, I it's going to be a really interesting one to see if it can sustain this period of inactivity. Um, but uh, who knows? I think if it goes beyond June, there will be there could potentially be some casualties. But whether or not that affects the the very infrastructure of of Formula E, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Obviously, everybody hopes that it doesn't. So let's move away from uh, coronavirus. Uh, you'll be happy to know, uh, if only we could actually do that. Uh, can't move anywhere. Um, new Nissan Global Motorsports boss. Previously, Michael Carcamo, the uh, the American dude that you see in the garage looking quite cool. He's a quite a cool-looking guy. He has uh, moved up, I believe, within Nissan, and Tommaso Volpe replaces him. Are you, I've never come across Tommaso Volpe before, have you, Sam? No, I haven't, but he's got an interesting CV, ex-Ferrari, 
X Infinity. So he's he's been knocking around the Formula E paddock, uh, sorry, Formula One paddock occasionally with Infinity and their um, their previous relationship with Red Bull Racing. Um, but no, it's it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how he operates and, and works with the with the Edams team as well. I mean, Michael Carcamo, I, I completely agree. A, a complete uh, dude, somebody who uh, <laughs> somebody who really loves racing. He's, he's a great racer and he's been around the racing industry for, for quite a while. He was an ex uh, Ilmore engineer. And actually, we've got a really great feature on the race coming up in the next few weeks with, I spent time with Michael and with Jens Marquardt, who is the BMW um, motorsport boss. And they both were junior engineers with PacWest Racing back in Champ Car days. In, really? Yeah, in 97 to sort of 99 time. And then Michael worked with uh, Greg Moore um, in 99 with the, the Players' Foresight team. And they had some great stories. So there's a nice little feature coming up on, on their recollections of, of that period of their career. But, you know, Michael, you know, did a... Did, did the job of that metamorphosing from Renault into uh, Nissan and Nissan came on board in season five, quite a tumultuous year with the issues they had. Well, not issues, but their, their powertrain, which was outlawed essentially uh, three quarters of the way through last season. And they had to adapt their, their car significantly. So yeah, I had a bit of a bumpy relationship with Michael. You'll probably remember the Rome, uh, the Rome Epre. Oh, Rome, the Rome, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> where, where I, um, I asked a couple of, um, fairly probing questions at the, the pre-event press conference and, uh, you know, but it, to, to give Michael his due, it was a very difficult period for the team. There was quite a lot of politics going on and they were being lobbied by the other teams who were lobbying the FIA, sorry, to, to get this, uh, dual MGU innovation, uh, outlawed for the next season. And, and so it proved, and, uh, you know, that's, that, that's a big story to, to sort of talk about in years to come, I think, because there was there was so much going on there. But actually, since the start of this season, I've I've had several chats with Michael, and I'll be sorry to see him leave. Actually, because he's uh, he's good value, and like I said, he's he's a racer and loves his racing. He is always good value at the after parties as well. I won't I won't I won't say any more than that. I wouldn't know, Jack, because I'd, I'd never get invited. Do you not? You're you're usually working for the race. Well, that's that's true. Yeah, the our work starts after the race. The hyphen race dot com. When the checker flag finishes, I'm done. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've been to one of those after parties at Montreal in season three and to be honest the the devastation and carnage that i saw that night i don't want to go to any <laughs> other ones ever again i'm trying to remember montreal <laughs> let's let's best it's best not to <laughs> i remember the awards ceremony but then that, i think that's where my that's, that's where my memory runs out yeah. so yes. let's move on from that one uh Karkamo, um there's part of me that can't help but it's, this is going to be a bit harsh, but on paper, you would have to say he hasn't done a, a great job. You know, he took over an Edam's team that were not winning everything necessarily, but were consistently front runners. And since he came on board, that has not been the case. Now, of course, it did tie in roughly with the with the illness of Jean-Paul Drio, who was the man... Uh, and subsequent passing, uh, sadly, of Jean Baudrillo, who's the man behind the Edams team. But on paper, he sort of was the, 
you know, one of the only changes, right? Because it's still, you know, the, the Nissan Renault group, they're all still, they were part of the same alliance and everything. So it's not, it wasn't that dramatic a, a, a changeover, was it? Or am I underplaying how big a deal it was going from Renault to Nissan? Uh, you know, I think I think branding wise, they're, they're obviously marketing wise, there are things to take into account, but they, they should be quite um, straightforward. Yeah. I, th- I think actually what happened was that technically uh, Vincent Gallardo, who is the um, sort of visionary technical head of of that team um, and, and had worked for, for Dams for quite a while and, and Renault for quite a while, he, he came up with this very complex, very innovative. We still don't know exactly how how he was how they were doing it and applying it on the track you know that that ultimately came to be the downfall of of the system because it, it couldn't be proved specifically you know how it was how it was working and it, it all got a bit murky with the FIA i think it's actually I think when you look at their form last year, Nissan's form, you know, Buemi was the king of qualifying. They couldn't apply it. They they, they couldn't get it reliable. They kept having these weird shunts. Um, and then when it got hooked up with Roland and, and, and Buemi, you know, Roland showed some pretty outrageous pace, you know, a, a succession of pole positions. Buemi got a couple of poles and then he got the win in New York and had a sniff of the title but it was you know it was a um it was too it was just too short at the end of it in terms of uh, him actually threatening Vern I, you know I they finished did they finish second in the team standings no they didn't did they Boemi finished second in Sorry, the drivers yeah. didn't he and then they finished probably fourth didn't they third or fourth in the yeah. in the team standings should know these things but I, I think okay it wasn't a brand new team the infrastructure of the team was similar there were little things like Boemi's engineer change Jeremy Collinson went to Venturi uh, obviously, the partnership of Prost and Buemi was 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 broken, and, and people underplay that. But you know, Buemi's the sort of character and sort of driver who you know does like stability within a team. I think so. You know, I, I, I think, and like you say, the fact that their their talisman and their their driving force was in you know had such a devastated illness and sadly died last summer. You know, we'll, it's it's easy to underplay that, but um, Drio was such a character that you know I think it shook the team probably more than they that they admitted at the time. And when you put all that into the mix, yeah, I think they did a decent job. And and actually, you know, in terms of Michael Carcamo's, um job in that that one and a half seasons that he had with Nissan. I, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it disappointing. I'd, I'd call it, I'd call it, um, a, uh, from, from his point of view, I'm sure he'll remember it <laughs> to say the least, you know, <laughs> it was pretty fraught. And, um, I think it will, um, you know, it, it'll take a few years for him to look back on it fondly. Let's put it that way. But, um, the results, you know, he got the results and ultimately he got, you know, he was at the helm when, uh, Nissan got that first, uh, quite emotional victory in New York. Cause I spoke to Buemi, um, uh, after Drio's, uh, death and very emotionally, um, Sebastian told me that, um, you know, that Jean Paul was in the last weeks of his life and, and did watch that on TV and, um, and obviously, you know, was, was ex- extremely delighted that, um, you know, in, in his, in his, in his last days, he was able to, to save her, hopefully save her, 
that victory, which was the first for Nissan, but another one to add to his uh, his Edam stable. Okay, and uh, final thing in this sort of news roundup podcast: Gen three tenders. We've got uh, deadlines coming on the thirty first of March. But again, in the world of uh, Corona, is that is that going to be changed? Is that going to be the same? What are the sort of general plans? And firstly, firstly, what are these what are these tenders for? Yeah, so these are tenders for the third iteration of the rule set of Formula E. So this will be known as Gen Three, um, and this will come into effect in two thousand and twenty two twenty three season, which will be season. Nine. So the present cars are doing four seasons. So this is the second season. Three and four will be with the Evo design, which we've already seen digitally at least. Now, the tenders are split into three categories, really. The the chassis, the battery, and the tyres. So let's take the chassis and the tyres out of it for the first. first. Um, they will be... Um, they're highly likely to be the same Spark stroke Dallara alliance that we've seen in the first two rule sets. Uh, tires wise i'm hearing that obviously michelin will go for a third uh, a hat trick of um, contracts with formula e and they're the safe option but don't be surprised if companies such as hankook and uh, goodyear are also tendering for this i've reached out to those companies but uh, have only had very generic replies and non-committal replies um, and as for the battery so which is probably the most crucial part of it the, the battery uh, contract, again, we're expecting Ativa and McLaren uh, to go separate tenders this occasion. Those two companies are partnered for the present battery. Uh, I'm expecting them to have separate tenders for Gen 3. And then we're hearing that potentially companies such as Rimac um, could also be part of that. Two companies that won't be putting tenders in because we're about to run a, a feature on the race about this is BMW and Porsche. Now, Porsche certainly expressed an interest at the very least in the Gen 2 battery, um, but it certainly won't be, or it doesn't have plans to do the same for Gen 3. And Jens Marquardt told me in um, Mexico that BMW will not tender as well. In, in respect of the deadline, which he said is the 31st of March, Jack, um, we don't know. We don't know if that's going to be um, extended or not. At the last sporting working group meeting, which was last week, um, mid uh, sorry, yeah, mid March, that it wasn't going to be extended. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We don't know um, if in a couple of weeks will be added onto that. Probably not, because this is the sort of thing where um, we can just send an email. Well, yeah, you're you're right. That's that's essentially what they'll do. They'll they'll draft up their proposals and and their their tender documents and and, and send it to um, send it to the sporting manager of the of the FIA and then the technical manager of the FIA. Um, they're quite intricate, so essentially. There's going to be more power in Gen 3, but the cars are going to be smaller and lighter. So actually for the tenderees, it's a massive undertaking and a huge challenge uh, just in terms of materials. Again, of these cars a lot lighter, but but a, a bit quicker. And uh, yeah, and we're obviously expecting to have options for fast charging as well. So fast charging pit stops are going to be probably be part of the infrastructure of the next generation of Formula E. On that note, uh, not that note, but a note from previous, uh, before we wrap up, I've just thought that, do you think McLaren 
get enough credit for their battery because I thinking back to the Williams battery of seasons what one to four, they got a lot of criticism and I think they were they're in a very difficult position because they um you know, had to put it together very late in the day. It was new technology, all of those things. And it's not a criticism of Williams from me, but they did get a lot of criticism at the time and the batteries would overheat a lot and lots of people needed battery changes. And there was talk that, you know, the if you got an older battery, it would be a bit worse and all of that. I feel like since the start of season five, these McLaren batteries have been actually really impressive and reliable. And, and maybe it's something we don't, big up enough about how good a job they've done yeah it's a good point um so the, yeah the the batteries the, themselves are actually the in terms of the cell structure of the of the units are actually the property of well originally the property of sony so they're sony cells within that um within that um, makeup of the battery uh they're now owned by a company, japanese company called murata but they were Acquired by Ativa, San Francisco-based uh, technology company, which is also um, part of the overall company picture of Lucid Motors, who are an EV um, constructor, uh, manufacturer over in California. McLaren Applied Technologies are the um, the service provider, effectively, and they have the, the staff members who are servicing these uh, units for the teams. In terms of recognition, it's an interesting one. I went to McLaren back in 2017 and met with their ex-MD, a gentleman called Roddy Basso, and uh, did a sort of an hour and a half of interviews with him. And within 24 hours was... Um, um, got my knuckles wrapped for speaking to them because there was a deal with the FIA um, as a not not as strict as a non-disclosure, but a kind of a non-marketing thing going on. So it was a bit it was a bit peculiar because you're quite right. They people generally don't know the great job that these companies have done, but initially, certainly in the first two years of Gen Two, uh, they weren't allowed to sing and shout about it. Uh, because it came under the umbrella of the FIA Formula E kind of uh, ingredients for Gen Two, so it was all a bit it was all a bit complex. That uh, it seems to have been freed up a bit more now. So Ativa are doing a bit more marketing and press and media and so forth, and and it's generally acknowledged that McLaren, um, you know, are an integral to it, and they certainly are. And from what I've seen and speaking to the drivers and the teams. There certainly aren't many complaints, uh, but you know, you know what racing drivers are like, Jack. They'll complain about the tiny, yeah, exactly. tiniest Look, little thing. Um, but yeah, in the scheme of things and the huge nature of that that job and the responsibility of it, yeah, I mean, you know, hats off to all of them. They've done a terrific job. Yeah. Now you mention it, I sort of remember being being told that they're not, you know, they're not McLaren batteries. They're not to be referenced as McLaren batteries. That isn't the sort of you know, the way that they're being spoken about. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that sort of wraps up our, uh, nice podcast. Well, I, I don't know why I, I don't get to say it's nice, but I've enjoyed it anyway. Have you enjoyed it, Sam? I love it. I love talking to you, Jack, especially when we've got about 140 miles between us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the perfect, no, that's it's the been, perfect distance. It's been great. It's been great. It's always good to, uh, catch up on the, the matters, uh, the matters going on at the minute and, you know, although we're not going racing and, you know, news is scant, uh, you know, we, we, we do like to chat about Formula E and it's, uh, I hope it's appreciated by the listeners, yeah. 
Well, make sure you keep across uh, the race. If you enjoyed this podcast, then make sure you have subscribed uh, at We Are The Race on social media, the-race.com on the internet. That's where you'll get all your uh, news from the race. And I'll do a little plug for the race's all-star esports battle, which is going to continue. So that's great. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. There'll be another Formula E podcast coming up very soon here on the race. <laughs>